Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Monday, we're already here, and we've already had a troubleshooting session, so let's get right into those stories and uh, see what's going on in the world. Find my stories. Alright. Okay, you gotta open my browser again because of life. Well, you got no turkey election stories, so we're gonna look calling up that. Okay. But you'd have the turkey selection, so go ahead and start whenever you're... Okay. Today on Before Coffee, in Sudan, recreate UK's homes for Ukraine's scheme for Sudan refugees, urges one of the plan's architects. U.S.-Mexico border sees orderly crossings as new migration rules take effect. Vladimir Zelensky arrives at Checkers to meet my friend Rishi Sunak. AI presents political peril for 2024 with threat to mislead voters. Serbia, we have a violent society. Hate speech and spotlight after Serbian mass shootings. And we have news on the Turkish election. Will democracy prevail? Will there be a peaceful transfer of power? Today on 515. Great for your Quadrophenia fans out there. 515-23 edition of Before Coffee. Alright, let's get into my first news story here with Sudan. One of the architects of Britain's Homes for Ukraine scheme is calling on the government to replicate the program for refugees from Sudan. Dr. Krish Kandia, the director of the Sanctuary Foundation, which was instrumental in matching many British hosts with Ukrainian refugees, said he wanted the country to show the same generosity of spirit to those fleeing war in Sudan as it did to Ukrainians. Within days of proposing the idea online, more than 100 people have formally registered with the organization as being willing to host Sudanese families escaping the civil war. Kandia said, we're not asking for unlimited numbers, we're just asking for equity. The same opportunity that was given to Ukrainians if they can find a sponsor and a host can happen to a Sudanese person too. He added, the Homes for Ukraine and Ukrainian Family Scheme have been an incredible success, welcoming over 173,000 refugees from to the UK, frequently being hosted in people's homes. We need to show that same generosity of spirit and open hospitality to people from Sudan. Chris... Wilmot, 56, a retired university lecturer, and his wife, Anne Wilmot, 55, a doctor, have signed up to host at their home in Le- Le- Leicester if a visa route is established. They Lester. took it. Yeah, I never can say that. British places. <laughs> they took it, a Ukrainian couple for seven months last year and have space in their home again. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. That's really nice of them. But I don't actually care what they have to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not nice. Not nice. Why is it long and drawn out? I've enjoyed having her part of my home, and I want to be able to make the same offer available to those fleeing persecution in Sudan, because their need is great, said Kathy Ashley, a charity ch- chief executive who had a young Ukrainian woman living with her family in the South London home since last year. Sanctuary Foundation is also proposing the family visa scheme set up for Ukrainian relatives of people already living in Britain should be emulated for Sudan. Many expatriate Sudanese families living in Britain are worried for their relatives and want the opportunity to open up their homes. Mohammed Amin, 40, arrived at a refuge by... To you... By... Wait. Mohammed Amin, 40, arrived as a refugee by boat from Calais in 2020 after fleeing Sudan and now has asylum. His sister and nephew recently fled 
car to him, and he wants them to be able to live with him. The situation is bad. We need the same things that were done for Ukraine, he said. I'm trying to help them, but it's difficult. They ran out of Khartoum, and they have no food, no place. I'm trying to send them money from here to there, but the banks aren't working. Khartoum, as everybody says it. Khartoum? Khartoum. It's like, yeah. yeah. Al-Ghali Said, who came to Britain from Sudan almost two decades ago, wants his adult son, Hussam, who has been living in Khartoum, to be able to join him. Said, 56, who works as a taxi driver and lives with his wife and daughter in a four-bedroom house in Rotherham, says he has room for him to join. All we ask is for the British people to help us like they did the Ukrainians, he said. A government spokesperson said there were no plans to open up a spoke resettlement route for Sudan, adding that it was focused on preventing a humanitarian emergency by working with international partners and the United Nations to bring an end to the fighting. Since 2015, we have offered a safe and legal route to the UK to almost half a million people seeking safety, but our approach must be considered in the round, rather than crisis by crisis basis. Basically, they're racist, but they don't want to say they're racist, so they're going to say, oh, we don't know if it's possible. <laughs> Ukrainians are white people, you see? That's why they're allowed in our country. <laughs> you can't tell the difference between a white person, unless they're Polish, of course. If they're Polish, they're not allowed to come. That's the whole reason they did Brexit, is to get rid of Polish people. Ukrainians, though, are way better than Polish people. I don't... Statement. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just being okay, prejudiced. Uh, okay. Well, you're being prejudiced. I, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I am. I'm admitting you, that I'm being prejudiced here against the UK and their immigration yeah. policy. Well, here's the thing. I, um, I, I don't even, I don't even know what their immigration policy is. But if I hear in a statement that says they should treat us just like Ukrainians. How do you know if the Ukrainians are getting that great of a deal? Maybe somebody's getting a better deal, right? <laughs> you know, the Ukrainians are sitting there in a tent going, this is that fucking great, man. All right. Well, they just want to be allowed to enter the country. That's why they're asking, I would be like, they're asking for equity. Like, they're just asking for the Treat us like American refugee. Was, yeah. was that the end of the story? I'm sorry. No, Did that's I, the end of the story. You can okay. go to yours. Right. I, I can stop talking and move on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> U.S.-Mexico border news. This is from AP. Valerie Gonzalez, Elliot Spaghetti, and Giovanni Del Toro. The U.S.-Mexico border was relatively calm in the U.S. Ended, as U.S. ended its pandemic-era immigration restrictions. Now, here's a racist policy. You want to stop here and pause because Title 42 is basically... The last COVID restriction? <laughs> yeah. All COVID restrictions were removed months ago. But here we still have one at the U.S.-Mexico border. Hmm. 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 Racism, possibly. A full day after the rules known as Title 42 were lifted, and the Supreme Court was the only people keeping them in place. Whatever. Migrants and government officials on Friday were still assessing the effects of new regulation adopted by President Joe Biden's administration of hope of stabilizing the southwest border region and undercutting smugglers who char- charge migrants to get there. Migrants are now essentially barred from seeking asylum in the U.S. if they did not first apply online or seek protection in the countries they travel through. Families allowed in their immigration cases prior as their immigration cases progress will face curfew as in GPS monitoring. 
Those expelled can now be barred from reentry for five years and face possible criminal prosecution. Across the river from El Paso is Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Many migrants watch their, watch their cell phones in hopes of getting a coveted appointment to seek entry. The official app to register to enter the United States underwent changes this week as it offered appointments for migrants to enter through land crossings. Many migrants in northern Mexico resigned themselves to waiting for an appointment rather than approaching the border without authorization. I hope it is a little better and that the appointments are streamlined a little more, said Yoremi de, de Pablos, 21, a Venezuelan traveling with seven cousins who has been waiting in Ciudad Juarez for a month. During deportation, De Pablos did not want to cross illegally. We have to do it the legal way. The U.S. Homeland Security Department said it has not witnessed any substantial increase in immigration. Back in southern Mexico, migrants, including children, still traveled to railways in Ecotaca in Friday, desperate to clamor board freight, tra to clamor board freight trains heading towards U.S. They're asked. It says desperate. That's editorializing. I don't like it when they do that. <laughs> They're desperate. Oh, look at them. Oh, they'll never be on the train. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like editorializing. The legal pathways touted by the Biden administration consists of a program that permits up to 30,000 people a month from Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela to enter if they apply online with a financial sponsor and enter through an airport. About 100 processing centers opening in Guatemala, Colombia, and elsewhere for migrants to apply to go to U.S., Spain, or Canada. Up, up to 1,000 can enter daily through land crossings with Mexico if they can secure an appointment with the app. If it works, the system could fundamentally alter how migrants come to the southern border. But Biden, who is running for re-election, faces withering, but Christian, legal challenges, so forth and so on. And again, the uh, the the uh, the system is going smoothly as it starts, but we'll see if anybody rushes to the border. But I think actually, what happens? People rush to the border when you announce it's closing. More unlikely. People knew this was going to happen sooner or later anyway. We just this is when it happened. You're sorry. All right. Well. We'll see what happens. Very convenient, like you said, that it's the last COVID restriction still running. Well, Biden sure, took it down a, a long time ago. Took it down a long time ago. The Supreme Court said, no. We need it for reasons. <laughs> That's the only country yeah. that's spreading COVID all of a sudden. Really? Is that really true? No, it's not. <laughs> all uh, right. In Ukrainian news, surprise visit the UK by Ukrainian president for substantive negotiations follows announcements of further military aid. In an early morning message as he landed in the UK, Zelensky confirmed he would meet with his friend Rishi. He tweeted, Today, London, the UK is a leader when it comes to expanding our capabilities on the ground and in the air. This cooperation will continue today. I will meet with my friend Rishi. We will conduct substantive negotiations face-to-face -face and in delegations. Number 10 confirms Zelensky had arrived in Britain and would meet Sunak at his Chequers country residence in Buckinghamshire. It is also announced further military aid for Ukraine in the form of hundreds of air defense missiles and long-range attack drones with a range of more than 200 kilometers. 
Today, the Prime Minister will confirm the further UK provisions of hundreds of air defense missiles and further unmanned aerial systems, including hundreds of new long-range attack drones, with a range of over 200 km, the UK government said in a statement. These will all be delivered over the coming months as Ukrainian prepares, Ukraine prepares to intensify its resistance to the ongoing Russian invasion forces. The visit is part of the tour of several key European allies ahead of an unexpected or an unexpected major Ukrainian counteroffensive that they keep talking about. Spring is over, people. The spring counteroffensive <laughs> is not happening. I'm telling you. Okay? They're, I don't know what they're doing. Sure, they're going to have a counteroffensive, but it's no longer a spring one. That's all I'm saying, okay? Don't... It's spring. They've, it's technically spring. Eh, okay, sure. If they're going to do it... If they if they do this counteroffensive in the next two weeks, I will take it all back. But if they don't, but, I'm calling bullshit right now, okay? That's all I'm saying. Well, if it's if it's summer, then Maryland missed a memo because it ain't hot yet. It's um, still spring here. Yeah, just because it's not hot doesn't mean it's not summer. That's all I'm saying. Sunik has said summer is all designated by the sun's placement in the sky. So okay, well that's all. Uh, Sunik has said that the UK will be sustaining its support to Ukraine as he's prepared to meet Zelensky. In a statement, he said, "This is crucial moment in Ukraine's resistance to a terrible war of aggression they did not choose or provoke." They need the sustained support of the international community to defend against the barrage of unrelenting, indiscriminate attacks that have been their daily reality for over a year. We must not let them down. The front line of Putin's war of aggression may be in Ukraine, but the fault lines stretch all over the world. It is in all our interest to ensure Ukraine succeeds and Putin's barbarianism is not rewarded. Interesting. Barbarianism. Or barbarism. 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 There you go. Yeah. This is why the UK is sustaining our support to Ukraine. From tanks to training, ammunition to armored vehicles, all this message of solidarity will ring loud in, in all my meetings with fellow world leaders in the days ahead. The visit comes three months after Zelensky's first trip to London since the start of the war when he attended an audience with King Charles and addressed Parliament. Last week, Britain became the first country to start supplying Ukraine with long-range cruise missiles, which will allow its forces to target Russian troops and supply dumps deep behind the enemy front lines. The decision was warmly welcomed by Zelensky as a significant enhancement of Ukraine's efforts in the war. Wasn't Putin like threatening nuclear war if people, if they, if the West continued doing this? I'm excited to see what his reply to this development is. Um, right after their glorious military, uh, their military, uh, whatever. Russian ha Russia had that military parade last week. Yeah. His visit comes ahead of the G7 gathering in Hiroshima, Japan, later this week that will be attended by Sunak. After the US, the UK has been one of the largest suppliers of military to Ukraine, contributing $2.3 billion of support last year and pledging a similar amount for 2023. In January, Britain said it would send 14 battle tanks to Ukraine, a pledge that was followed by other nations including US and Germany. Zelensky has intended to make a video appearance at last weekend's Eurovision. We talked about that. They didn't let him because they were like, Ugh, it's too political. Meanwhile, they have Israel just hanging out. Yo, we bomb half our country's citizens. Yo, we're second place in Eurovision, though. Anyways, let's talk. Like Enough editorializing about how <laughs> hypocritical Eurovision. Eurovision is. On to your next right. story. Money talks, bullshit walks. <laughs> uh, oh, is it my story? Yep. Right on, uh, AI, 
Presents Political Peril for 2024 is in the news. This is uh, by David Klepper and Ali Svensson of AP News. And in, in news, people are highly suggestible dopes. Oh, sorry, that's not in there. Computer engineers and technical inclined political science well that's the subtext of this computer engineers and te- inclined political scientists have warned for years that cheap powerful artificial intelligence tools would would soon allow anyone to create fake images video and audio that re- was realistic enough to fool voters and perhaps sway the election the synthetic images that emerge are often crude, unconvincing, and costly to produce, especially when other kinds of misinformation were so inexpensive and easy to spread on social media. The threat posed by AI and so-called deepfakes always seem to be your two away. No more. Sophisticated AI tools now create cloned human voices and hyper-realistic images, videos, and audio in seconds at minimal cost. When strapped to powerful social media algorithms, this fake and digitally created content can spread far and fast and target highly specific audiences, potentially taking campaign dirty tricks to a new low. The implications for the 2024 campaigns and elections are large as they are troubling. Generative AI can not only rapidly produce targeted campaign emails, texts, or videos, it can also be used to mislead voters, impersonate candidates, and undermine elections on a scale and a speed not yet seen. We are not prepared for this, warned A.J. Nash, Vice President to Intelligence at the cybersecurity firm ZeroFox. To me, the big leap forward is the audio and video capabilities that have emerged. When you can do that on a large scale and distribute it on a social platform, well, it's going to have a major impact. AI Indeed. experts can quickly rattle off a number of alarming scenarios in which generative AIs use create synthetic media for purposes of confusing voters, slandering a candidate, or even inciting violence. Here are a few. Oh. Automated, automated robocall messages in a candidate's voice, instructing voters to cast ballots in the wrong date. Audio recordings of a candidate supposedly confessing to a crime or expressing racist views. Video footage showing someone giving a speech or an interview they never gave. Fake images designed to look like local news reports falsely claiming a candidate dropped out of the race. What if Elon Musk personally calls you and tells you to vote for your certain candidate? <laughs> Orion Edzoni, the founding CEO of Allen Institute of Owls. <laughs> I'm sorry, of AI. <laughs> a lot of owls in here, I'm sorry. Who stepped down last year to start the, the nonprofit AI, AI Squared. A lot of people would listen, but it's not him. That's a lot of words in between uh, what he said. Former President Donald Trump, who was running for 20 in 24, has shared AI-generated content with his followers on social media. A manipulated video of CNN host Anderson Cooper's that Trump shared of his true social platform, which distorted Cooper's reaction to CNN Town Hall this past week. With Trump was created, use AI voice cloning tool. Well, if you're dumb enough to listen to Trump, you're listening to just what I mean. A dystopian campaign ad released last month by the Republican National Committee offers another glimpse of this digitally manipulated future. The online ad, which came after President Joe Biden announced his reelection campaign, said something stupid. A serious, uh, the RNC acknowledges use of AI, but others 
including nefarious political campaigns and foreign adversaries will not, said Petro Stoyanov, Global Chief Technology at Forcepoint, a cybersecurity campaign company based in Austin, Texas. Storyoff predicted that the groups looking to meddle in U.S. democracy will employ AI and synthetic media in a way to erode trust. Well, yeah. Just put a bunch of fake ads like they did on Facebook back in 2016 and everybody just believes them. Now they'll be AI fake, you know, fake videos. And I don't know, I haven't been fooled by AI fake uh, audio yet at all, so... And I don't think I've been fooled by a video yet, so maybe they'll fool me. We'll see. Your story. I've definitely seen some uh, fake, fake stuff. Like, for example, there was a bunch of images of Trump being arrested in New York City. Those weren't real. None of those were real. Were you fooled by his own saying? I thought when I saw them at first, I thought they're real. But as always with everything on Twitter, I always go to the comments and then somebody said, these are fake. And I was like, okay, that's all I need to see. <laughs> I trust that guy <laughs> way more than a random image on the internet. I'm very aware. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. You're going to be suckered in. You're going to be suckered in. And you're probably just, you know, you're giving your money to some televangelists already. You know, I don't know. Well, I was just saying, people give money to televangelists. You're stupid enough to fall for that, you'll fall for anything. That guy's gonna get me into heaven, I gotta send him money? What? Huh? How does that work? All what right, in dog? Serbian news, <laughs> editorializing about televangelists. Well, the same in thing. Serbian yeah, news, after a bunch yeah. of mass shootings. In the first week of an amnesty after mass shootings plunged their country into shock and soul-searching, Serbians surrendered more than 13,500 weapons from guns through hand grenades to anti-tank launchers and hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition. Why does somebody have hand grenades and anti-tank launchers in the house? Well, it is Serbia. They were in a war very recently. In case friends drop over. But in a deeply divided nation awash with lethal rep weaponry, weaponry where war criminals are glorified, rally shows on state TV star convicted murderers, and memories of savage recent conflicts run deep, many doubt whether the president's pledge to disarm the country will be enough. Oh, you're trying to say it's a cultural problem, huh? I know similar place to that. 17 people were killed and 21 injured this month in two shootings in many days. In Belgrade, a shooter, allegedly a 13-year-old schoolboy, using two of his father's pistols, like killed eight pupils and a security guard and wounded six other children and a teacher. The suspect is in custody and undergoing psychological evaluation, but is too young to be held criminally responsible. His father is accused of training the teenager to handle weapons and failing to adequately secure the pistols, and also tell him not to shoot people if they make you angry. You know, don't... If somebody pisses you off, don't kill them. That, that's the one lesson he should taught them at that point. Yeah. The following day, a man brandishing assault rifle and pistol killed eight people and injured a further 14 in two villages around 30 miles south of the capital. A 21-year-old suspect arrested wearing a pro-Nazi Generation 88 t-shirt is in custody. The president, Alexander Vutiki, I don't know how to say that because that's weird accents, a populist, pro-Kremlin authoritarian whose political roots are in far-right nationalism, he was briefly the information minister under the late Serb leader and indicted war criminal Slobodan Milosevic decreed an attack on our entire country. Bu Busik 
Bukik, Bukiksi, I don't know how to say his, I really don't know how to say his name. Buk, Busik, Busik announced the month-long gun amnesty prominent to the people could hand over illegal weapons, ammunition, and ordnance, as well as legally owned arms they no longer wanted, anonymously and without fear of prosecution. Wait, if this guy's like a far-right nationalist, won't he just like go straight to... It's now a dictatorship, and you guys don't have weapons, so haha, -ha, jokes on you. <laughs> I'm worried that's what we're going for here. <laughs> With this article, I mean. I th I'm worried that's what the article is gonna go into. Oh. Busik won some praise, in particular abroad, for the move, with some commentators contrasting his decisiveness with the apparent inability of the U.S., which this year alone has witnessed 22 mass killings in which four of them or more people have been killed, excluding the perpetrator, to tackle its accelerating gun violence. He has further pledged a two-year moratorium on new gun licenses, a review of current licenses, more psychological checks, 1,200 extra police officers in schools, which is not a solution to anything, longer jail terms for gun crimes, and illegal weapon possession. <laughs> Adding more police never improves anything. Uh, I don't care what country you're in. Never helps anything. Uh... Except for helping you get more fascist, that's for sure. That's what they're going for in this article. <laughs> but while the it's president was promising a sharp response, urgent measures, and severe penalties to tackle, to tackle gun crime, many Serbs are asking what else may lie behind it. Aha! And how far Busik, has, who has been in power since 2014, which is a long time, may have contributed to excessive violence in the country and its politics on TV. Some support the government's measures. There's too much violence. I do not know how they did not address this issue so far, said a retiree. But others are not reassured. I do not know what to think. I have a kid and I do not feel safe. I keep my eyes peeled in the playground. Thousands took the streets of Belgrade on Friday in a second opposition-led Serbia Against Violence protest march, demanding the resignation of the interior minister. The education minister also already gone and an end to what may see as a culture of violence fanned by the media and ruling party politicians. Vushik has accused his opponents of seeking to exploit the tragedies for political ends and announced plans for his own rally in late May. Wait a minute, he also capitalized on the tragedies to make all guns, like, to turn your guns in, so I don't know. You're both making it political. It's fine. Just admit it. Nobody knows how many guns there are in Serbia, a country of about 6.8 million people. Majo Belios, a researcher at the Belgrade Center for Security Policy, said it was unclear how many weapons were registered, let alone how many were held illegally. Repressive knee-jerk measures would not help, Bijelos said. Serbia has among the most police officers per capita in Europe, but that has not left citizens feeling safe or resolved the violence problem. Yes, like I said, adding more police does not cause any solutions to this problem. Despite ready access to weapons, mass shootings were rare in Serbia before this month. The last major incident was in 2013, but amid hardship, the legacy of the war, endemic corruption, and high levels of violence in society, politics, and the media, experts have long warned that the presence of so many guns posed a threat. Zoran Gavrilovic, a sociologist at the Bureau of Social Research, said that shootings had not surprised him. The social climate was leading to this. We have a violent society. It was just a matter of time for it to erupt, he said. Anyways, this article keeps going, but uh, it looks like what I, yeah, what, it looks like what this article is trying to say, which I slightly agree with, is that, well, having a bunch of guns is never good. 
taking away all guns might be seen as a political movement for this far-right nationalist to take more power into his hands because not only is, you know, sure people are getting massacred, but also you're putting more police everywhere. Really easy to just take control of the populace if they can't defend themselves, I guess, from the police who are, you know, getting multiplied as they as we keep going. So that's my editorialize on that. Your story. Well, uh, uh, we have a Turkey election now. It's from Turkey, uh, from the AP, Susan Fraser, Zainab Bling, Bling, Bel, Okay, this is Turkey election news. Turkey presidential elections appeared headed for runoff Monday with Pre- President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, I'm not going to say his first name again, pulling ahead of his chief challenger, but failing, falling short of an outright victory to extend his increasingly authoritarian rule in the third decade. The vote was being closely watched to see if a strategically located NATO country, which has a coast on the Black Sea to the north and neighbors Iran, Iraq, and Syria to the south, remains under the president's firm grip and can embark on a more democratic course envisioned by his main rival, Kamal Kildarl Wow, boy. Kilk While Erdogan has governed for 20 years, opinion polls have suggested that a run could be coming to an end with an economic turmoil, cost of living crisis, and criticism with the government's response to a February earthquake that killed more than 50,000 people. Western nations and foreign investors were particularly interested in the outcome because of Erdogan's unorthodox leadership of the economy and often more crucial but successful efforts to put Turkey at the center of international negotiations, including in Ukraine. With 99.4% of domestic votes and 84% of the overseas votes counted, Erdogan has 49.4% of the votes with that hard name to pronounce, garnering 45%. Ahmed Yenner, the head of the Supreme Electoral Board, told reporters. A third candidate, nationalist political politician Sinan Ogan, received 5.2%. Erdogan, 69, told supporters in the early hours of Monday that he could still win. He said, however, that he would respect the nation's decision if the race went to runoff on May 28th, the vote that may favor him since... His alliance looks set to retain his majority in parliament. So it looks like they're probably going to head to a runoff. They have to have 50%. And at least, unlike uh, Donald Trump, he's actually going to respect the decision and say, oh, yeah, well, I can get 50%. I'll run again. So there's your turkey news. Nothing to really report, except it's really close to having a runoff. It looks like they're going to have a runoff. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll be seeing after. Give the entire history of the Ottoman Empire and the invention of the wheel on this <laughs> article. So, <laughs> entire history of the Ottoman Empire. All right, in <laughs> culture news, the Baptist happened this weekend, and if this year's TV bastards are to remember anything at all, then I am afraid they'll be remembered for a mistake. This is an article from Stuart Heritage from the Guardian, so it's very opinionated, talking about how they fucked up, basically. This year's best international category was already notable for its absences, 
were for the absolute god was better call Saul. But at least we can console ourselves with the fact that a couple of bangers made it in. In the White Lotus, it is recognized as the sort of wild word of mouth sensation that can only come about organically. And in The Bear, it recognized what must surely, hands down, be the very best television show in the world. I don't know if you've seen The Bear. It's a great, it's a great, almost incredibly realistic documentary style of what it's like to be a chef in, like, a shitty restaurant, really. Very realistically, realistically portrays what it's like to be, you know, working. Okay. <laughs> what it's like. And yet, once the South Bank Center had been crammed to the gills, the winner of the category was announced as Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. The state of that series. Not only was it generally witless, less a compelling dra- drama, more a rough clod of true crime dug up and listlessly tossed into the streaming quarry for the sake of it. But the glee it took in fetishizing a real-life serial killer turned the stomach. All that, plus look at the title. Nobody in their right mind should ever give a war to a series that not only contains both a colon and an M-dash in its title, but also repeats the name of the subject like a cheap, a cheap SEO hack. This guy is really angry. This was by far the most egregious shock of the TV BAFTA ceremony, but it was not the only one. Although Channel 4's Friday Night Live wasn't a bad show, if nothing else, it was a timely reminder that Ben Elton should dust off his stand-up chops more often. For it to win the Comedy Entertainment Program Award over the Taskmaster does not beggar belief. Taskmaster might be an old television standard by now, but that shouldn't diminish what it is. Taskmaster is miraculous. It deserves to be carried through the streets in a sedan chair. Also, have a personal issue with Platinum Jubilee. Party at the Palace, winning best live event. Because I remember live blogging the last year and writing, I hate this and I wish I was dead. <laughs> this guy is so funny. Uh, uh, Taskmaster is famously a comedy show where you get like a bunch of celebrities and you tell them to do ridic- ridiculous things like, you have to put this egg Oh, you have to you have to eat this egg without cracking it or something like that. Oh, it's like Japanese television for me. Yeah, for British people, yeah. <laughs> More than anything, though, two of my favorite British shows walked away empty-handed. Channel 4's Somewhere Boy was soaring and heartfelt and sad and resultly weird, and there hasn't been anything even close to it on television for a long time as I can remember. So it would have been nice to see it win something. On that same note, the responders strolled into the ceremony with more nominations than anything else, but left with nothing. It deserved more, and hopefully gather more appropriate hall next time around. Still, it would be churlish to only concentrate on the negatives of the night. The last time Adele Akhtar won a BAFTA was for 2016's Murdered by My Father. In a performance so visceral, it was hard to watch. Since then, he's managed to explode in every direction at once, excelling at comedy, drama, sci-fi, and anything else he's chosen to try. So his best supporting actor win for Sherwood was thoroughly deserved. On a similar note, if only people if only because his acceptance speech was the funniest and most sincere of the night, Lenny Rush completed, completely earned his BAFTA for male comedy performance for Am I Being Unreasonable? Question mark. Similarly, the Traders winning Best Reality and Constructed Reality was a vindication of the year's most buzzworthy hit. Almost as soon as the series began, it started to gain a sort of fervent following we haven't seen since back in the days when The Apprentice was an awful. The Traders landed with such an explosion that we may as well be t- talking about it in two decades from now. So it was smart to chuck 
awarded it early. For the same reason, Claudia Winkleman won a very well-deserved award for hosting it, not least for remaining identically human despite the continued two-pronged assault from her fringe and scarf. <laughs> but none of this means anything. These were the BAFTAs that thought Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story deserved recognition. How are we supposed to trust their judgment at all? Yet again, that was an editorial by Stuart Heritage, who was not happy about the ba- TV BAFTAs on Friday. Uh, are, yeah. Is it, wasn't Dahmer an American television? Yeah, it was for international show. Oh, that's right. It was on Netflix, wasn't it? Yeah. But it was American, but yeah. since it's UK, it's a UK show, it's considered international, right? Because it's an American. Nah, nah, Anyways, this week in history... <laughs> This week in history, today, today in history, this day in history, uh, 459, uh, 495 BC, on the Aventine Hill in Rome, the temple of the Roman god Mercury was dedicated. In 1859, jumping way far ahead, (laughs) physicist, pure chemist, Pierre Curie who is winner of the 1903 Nobel Prize for Physics, along with his wife, Marie Curie, was born in Paris on this day in 1859. Uh, let's see what else happened here. American poet Emily Dickinson uh, died this day in Amherst, Massachusetts. As mountaineering, mountaineer, mountaineer, Tenzig Norgay, who is Sir Edmund Hillary, was the first person to stand atop the summit of Mount Everest, was born in Ishu, Tibet. In this day, 1914. In 1918, the first regular airmail route in the United States opened between New York City and Washington, D.C. 1918, they were delivering airmail and hate mail. Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse debuted this day in the cartoon Plane Crazy in 1928. In 1940, the nylon stockings first went on sale in American stores. In 1940, in San Bernardino, California, the brothers Maurice Mack and Ronald McDonald opened a drive-in restaurant that gave rise to the fast food chain McDonald's. In 1969, American lawyer and judge Abe Fortas became the first U.S. Supreme Court justice to resign under the threat of impeachment. You see, it's been done before, Clarence. While in 1972, while campaigning for the Democratic presidential nomination, Alabama Governor George Wallace was wounded and left firmly paralyzed below the waist in an assassination attempt. In 2003, American singer and songwriter Johnny Cash, I'm sorry, American singer and songwriter June Carter Cash, a leading figure in country music, died, and the wife of Johnny Cash died in Nashville. Why did they put a picture of Johnny Cash? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's not a... uh, Also... This day, Edith Cresson appointed French Premier on this day in 1991. Edith Cresson of the Socialist Party became the first female Premier of France, but she lost the office less than a year later because of the rising unemployment and her declining support from within her party. And also born on this day on May 15th in Prague, Czechoslovakia, 
our Czech Republic, which is called now Madeleine Albright, was born in this day in 1939. Also, happy birthday to Andy Murray, Scottish tennis player, Ray Lewis, American football player, Emmett Smith, American football player, born in 1969, Ray wow. Lewis, 1975. That's a lot of people's birthdays. And 1948, Brian Eno, British musician, was born, along with the previously mentioned Madeline Albright. And what day is it today? May 15th. They didn't overdo it today. Not too much. It's Peace Officers Memorial Day. It's Bring Flowers to Someone Day. So it's just anyone, a bum in the street, the school bus driver. Give them flowers. Yeah. Give us, pick. Give us dandelions, even if it's ragweed. Give them something. International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day. So go ahead and I don't know how to care for a kangaroo because I'm not in Australia. How could it be International Kangaroo Care Day? Only one nation has kangaroos. <laughs> Unless the they're ones in, the zoo. in the zoos, I guess. Yeah, the ones in the animal zoos. prison. Yeah, yeah, the ones you keep it yeah, locked up with. Oh, why are we here again, Mom? I don't know. <laughs> National Nylon Stocking Day. We. Well, the nylons were invented in 1940. We covered that. It's National Chocolate Chip Day. I can get behind that one. International Day of Families. So take your families, give them chocolate chips and flowers, and go visit kangaroo. Today! Oh, go ahead. Well, that's been Allison here from Europe talking about things going to shit, and I hope to see you tomorrow for more of that. <laughs> This is Roger getting hopping on Kangaroo Care Awareness Day. 5-15-23. Why should I care? Why should I care? I'm before coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons. And follow other channels. Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.